0: Welcome back to another episode of Addiction to Recovery. I am Josh Solem, along with my lovely co-host, <laughs> Dr. Heather Bell. Um,
1: I didn't have, laugh this time. <laughs>
0: <yeah>. <laughs> we're still shoring things up here as we go, mm. but um, yeah, I think, I think we're getting it, you know, and it's been, a, it's been an interesting week for the two of us as we've been um, very involved with uh, the recovery community and different um, aspects yeah. And uh it's been it's been a very eye opening and, and you know the thing I keep thinking about is is like I am seeing so much happen within this recovery community that when I was using I just I, I would have never guessed. Right. I would have never guessed that people cared well that I they think, were working towards helping us.
1: Right. And I think though at the peak of your use, this wasn't a thing yet. There's a lot of things. No, that... no, yeah. So a couple of things just <laughs> How many times can I say the word thing? Let's yeah,
0: right. let's keep a track.
1: Yeah. No. Um. A couple of things that did come out of this week that are just super cool that I just want to emphasize is well, first of all our withdrawal management detox at RS Eden reopens Monday the twenty seventh. So
0: which is amazing.
1: Walk I mean. in if you're needing help, um, and we will assist you in making a not painful, uncomfortable traumatizing withdrawal
0: which is a huge barrier to getting help.
1: Yes. So and that's we that's are the reality. We're there for you. We're there for you and you could potentially meet me in person. Potentially. We'll see. Anyway, the other big thing that came out was when we were you were you were volunteering at Minnesota Recovery Connection pretty much all week and yeah. um I got to talk to to some of the people in the harm reduction class. And so hello to all of y'all if you're listening, because we yeah. you know we did handle some pins. And I just want to say to all the people who are CPRSs, because again, not only would y'all have made my life so much easier when I was really starting this out, because it, it's invaluable the, the care and the help and the everything you provide, which quick tangent on that, if you are a healthcare provider, like a physician or a nurse or a PA or a nurse practitioner or whatever, and you are just like, I need help with my patients and whether social work available or not, just pull peer recovery into your facility. It is, you need it. Or at least get involved with the peer recovery, something that you can at least refer your patients right. to.
0: Look into it.
1: Look like into the, it. And if you want is- help, no matter where you're located in the country, I don't care. I don't know what the, I know they have it in other parts of the world too. They but do, yeah. if you're, especially if you're in Minnesota, just email us. And if you're out of Minnesota, I can probably find people that know people. Um, we can help connect your facility. Peer Recovery is revolutionary;
0: boss. It
1: is super revolutionary. They can do all the things that we just wish we could do. And they have an automatic buy-in. Anyway, I could just go on and on and on. Um, but the thing I want to say is to the CPRSs out there, it is okay. Like, you're doing what you're doing, and you're doing it awesome, even though it feels really hard sometimes. Mm. And everything you're feeling, especially sitting in that class with several, everything you're feeling, all of everyone's feeling. And, you know, take a breath and, you know, take care of you too.
0: Right. Because that's huge. Self-care, Self-care
1: is huge. You guys have a super hard job. I don't know. It's highly stressful. It's super highly stressful and, and emotional and... You, you've been in these shoes and you just want to save everybody because that's what we want to do in this field. Um, and I think when you've been in the shoes, it's harder than even my perspective. And so remember to just take care of yourself and you are making amazing worlds of difference. Even if you have a client that returns to use and you never hear what happens to them again, you still had that one sentence that you might have said that might stick with them forever and change their lives so
0: i don't think there's ever any negative um with a with a a good trained um well-established cprs you know we learn how to how to interact we learn how to motivational interview we learn how to work with them i don't think there's ever anything that you can say that uh, this was a bad thing that came out of it right there's always something that adds to it even if there's a, a, a very you know dire uh, outcome you know where there's maybe an overdose or you know, return to use that you never hear them back there's still always something good that came out of that there
1: is and you might not see it it might not be that first person but there there's a ripple effect and yes and I do it's it's reframing totally reframing framing and I know that people maybe from my area of this field or other people who of course just don't understand addiction at all might question it their training is intense and they learn things that you don't wor- learn in med school there's things you don't learn when you're doing your addiction stuff it's it's, it's very the- specialized education so anyway i just and i'm i could go on and on but i won't so anyway just self care and keep up the good work
0: well and that's what we were talking about in that training um at the end when everybody cuz i had a chance to sit in on it I was volunteering, but there, there wasn't the need for me to volunteer where I usually volunteered, so they just asked me to go sit in on this. And I was just blown away by the, the amount of, um, that their buy-in from this group was just uh, mind-blowing. And then what they were sharing at the end was very emotional about how they just, like you were saying, they just really get emotionally connected and they feel like this stress of like if they don't succeed, if they don't make it. The thing I was thinking about is, you know, oncologists must have to deal with stuff like this all the time yeah. because of the the success rate, you know, is so fluctuating based on the certain circumstances or a priest or a a pastor. You know, I've seen this, you know, where a pastor has, has got so much, you know, calm and peace to them, even in death situations. Right. You know, they know they did their best. They know they counseled this person their best. If it was, if it happened to be like a, a tragic death, right? And it's just, it's one of those things that I think if it's harder for us as, as CPRs is because most of us, I would be willing to go on a limb and say that we are empaths, and that's the reason why. You know, <laughs> yep. a lot of a lot of people that are in substance use disorder have that, and the because ones that the are empaths really,
1: are big feelers. Yeah,
0: and the ones that really have it are the ones that reach out to help others right and that
1: sometimes pulls them back in yes so anyway anyway so a couple just final words on that self-care set your boundaries early Mm -hmm. self-care and have grace have grace with yourself right you know we'll talk about that don't take ownership of everybody else's things you can only control you anyway
0: and and the one thing i want to say is is everybody at you know minnesota recovery connection i mean they've just been so wonderful to me um, and to the recovery, the recovery world in general, world, let's they are be real. so genuine with what they're doing. You know, whether it's caddy or Aaron or John or Justin or Sarah, all the people that I've had in, you know, been in contact with have just been so genuine with what their, what their aim is. And I'm just, I'm, I'm honored to be a part of it. Yeah. And so if anybody has any questions about recovery in general, just doesn't even have to be about being a CPRS or doesn't have to be about getting somebody help the recovery connection, Minnesota recovery connection is such a great way to start. You know, just that's the first phone call in my mind. After so, you email us. Right. <laughs> email us. We'll give you the number. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah.
1: Anyway. um, Okay. So just, we've kind of been doing this celebrity highlight at the end of episodes and we're going to continue that. And now if we have a guest on, maybe not every time, just cause we like to go way to the time with the guests, but yeah. You get stuck listening to us again on a really cool topic that I've got to hear you present on, I think, once. Maybe not. Um, so today's celebrity highlight that we'll talk about at the end is Sir Elton John.
0: <laughs> Sir. I forgot that he's That's what he knighted. goes by. yeah. Knighted,
1: yeah. I'm going to give titles. Well, they've earned <laughs> Don't it. Don't use mine, they're, but I'll give you yours. Well, anyway. That's
0: that's you know, kind of a teaser so that if you get bored with the topic and you want to hear about Sir Elton, um, you have to stay tuned. It's quite the story. Anyway. Um, so what what... The topic is today is based on a, a, a talk. And like we did the last one on, the, on yours, on the prescribing habits and, and chronic you know, pain the chronic and- pain thing. You had just given a, a, a presentation on that. And I, um, a week ago, a week and a half ago, um, gave a presentation on negative core beliefs um, to the group of guys at the treatment program Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge, which is a 13-month Um, long-term faith-based program yes it's one that i went through and um they they break them into classes so like there's level one level two level three level four well level two is the one in my mind where they have to dig the deepest and they have to really expose um some real dark places that they've been and they have to like there's an assignment they do that's called um five critical choices and five defining moments in their lives. And I did this assignment when I was there, and I did it very poorly. You know, I did a lot of blaming, and I did a lot of, uh, you know, this person did this, therefore I became a drug addict, and that was my critical choice, you know. But but it was because of somebody So anyway. And we're
1: not saying drugs and addiction is a choice. There's parts of choices around it. Just I want to just be clear.
0: And that's the in-depth thing that I did with the the assignment when I redid it and I redid it so that I could present it to these guys so that they had an opportunity to really look into what I was exposing in myself. And when they do that assignment that they don't hold back, because in my mind, when you hold back, that's, those are the things that are going to get you.
1: Yeah. Lying to the people at treatment. Great. They might not, whatever, but you're not healing that part of you.
0: It's the shame that keeps that hidden, right? And and it's and it's very similar to if you go if if you go to a doctor and you are having pain in certain places, but you're not honest with them, and don't tell them about the pain you're having somewhere you're, where you're not you're embarrassed. Guess what? They can't help you, right? So the same goes for treatment, or, or even even a lot of this um, this group, this level two group is is um, partnered and and they, they help each other, so. I get it. A lot of guys get shamed. They, they're ashamed to admit something because they're ashamed. They're afraid of being judged. And I just continue to tell them that it's it's important to not feel judged. Anyway. Anyway. Topic the, today. The topic is um, negative core beliefs, and I've I've worked through this myself um, many times with my counselor, um, Luke, who's been working with me for. Ever since I was at Teen Challenge in 2018, and off and on, I've been working with them. And this, it keeps coming back to this, this negative core beliefs. And I have had, you know, to think about the the depths of my negative core beliefs and and how bad it's been. You know, whether it's been Can I you am know, like, not explain okay.
1: like what a negative core belief.
0: Okay, so is a, like a core belief is I am lovable. I'm 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 a good person. You know, I have good characteristics i am a good dad okay uh, i think i think a lot of people have um core beliefs that they are inherently good you know like people that go about their days in normal life you know and, and are are honest with themselves when they are you know doing their motherly duties or their fatherly duties they care about their kids and they truly believe that they are a good parent when you end up in in a situation, let's just use me for example. I started using the painkillers, and then I ended up um, losing my job, my my marriage, and all that. And then I ended up running away, mm-hmm. um, abandoning my kids, you know, abandoning my ex wife. You know, financially, I was not there for anybody. Um, becoming, you know, in and out of jails, in and out of treatments. I started developing these core beliefs, which. Were to the to the core that I was not good. I was a bad person. I was a bad father. I was not lovable. I, a core belief would be that I will never be sober. I will never get over this. Right. Um,
1: like it's like I'm inherently just. It's it's like I'm I'm hopeless, helpless. Like why even bother with right. me? Because this is just who I am.
0: It is. And then, and so then you give up, you know, you give up any, any chance, you know, and, and you try and convey that to other people. You know, you, you basically, you want other people to see it in you because you believe it in yourself.
1: Right. Like don't waste your time on me. Right. Right.
0: And so why they're so important is because they, they drive you, you know, if if you have negative core beliefs, they're going to drive you into a ditch to try and hide or to try and self-medicate you know i I was just talking to uh, somebody today about that escaping your negative emotions you know the the being sad or be feeling like you're a failure you know that's another core belief i'm a failure Mm -hmm. just that's who i am everything i touch is bad and so if you feel that way if that's your core belief then you are going to go in that direction Right. There's no reason why you're going to try and get you're better. You're
1: manifesting it in you're your life.
0: Yeah, you're just accepting it, and then you're just like, "This is as good as it's going to get." So, basically, looking at you know, you know, I use this example as like core strength. If you're if you're doing uh, you know weightlifting or you're training for a sport or whatever, the importance of having your core strength is essential to building any other skills or any other you know. Muscles, all that stuff. You have to have a good core. And I use my back injury as an example. You know, if the the core is, is what's helping me progress, you know, to be able to walk further, to be able to lift more. If I have a core that's protecting me, then I can get stronger. So the core belief of, you know, I am good. I have the capabilities of being good. Then you can move forward and actually do those things and Mm -hmm. do the work to actually improve. And so
1: it's almost like if you have a negative core belief, it's like, if you have a negative core, like go back to the sports things, you know, like if you have a negative core, it's like, what is even the point of doing squats or doing any kind of bench press stuff? Because there's no point there. It's almost like you lack that motivation. So, you know, a negative core belief of, I'm a failure and I'm not a good person inherently and this is just how I am and how I was born, It initially one might say, well, motivate yourself out of that. Well, if you truly believe to your core that that is how you are, like how do you motivate yourself out of that? And what I would say and what I've seen with patients is in addiction is, you know, society looks at it's like, well, you're just numbing your pain. You're just numbing your pain or, oh, you know, you had a bad day at work. You come home and have a glass of wine. Take the edge off. Take the edge off. Take the edge off. And those aren't core beliefs yet. You know, it's like, oh, I had a bad day. I'm stressed out. I didn't do well on that test or whatever happened. And you're just going to kind of numb that for whatever. And I think that's kind of how it starts. And then you realize, oh, I'm doing this and I'm doing a lot of it. And then you start to have guilt and shame and shame and shame. And then shame starts to say, well, maybe it isn't just, I'm, you know, having a bad day or that this thing happened to me or that I, this, I failed this test. It's maybe it's just, I'm just a bad person. And so it's like, why am I trying so hard then if I'm just always going to get back to this failure point?
0: Yeah. You give up.
1: And so, With patients, I mean, you hear that all the time. And again, I just love the connection with shame because it's so true. Is with patients, it's trying to understand what they really believed maybe before they used drugs or what they believed that led them to that or what happened that led to that. Um, And I'm not saying everybody had this horrible life story. Sometimes it is just an injury and led to it. But then all of a sudden it's like, well, obviously I'm a weak person. If I had this perfect life and then I (laughs) hurt my neck with sneezing and now I'm addicted to drugs, like, what the hell? Clearly I'm a bad person. Right. And I'm 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 weak. I'm weak. And so it's trying to unlearn. And so I just, like this exercise, sorry, I was totally tangential while you were reflecting your thoughts.
0: Well, and I... You know, we talk about these, and the one of the reasons why it's so important in this class is that, like you said, it is ingrained in you because of like a you know a decision you made, um, like you you abandon your kids, and then that is to the core who you think you are, and the only way that you're going to reframe that, or is you're going to have to accept that that happened and then you can ask yourself does this really define me you know right. and that's that's where a part of the defining moments we can reframe those you know if it doesn't mean like shame like you said shame and guilt are two different things guilt means and i've heard this said guilt is i'm a good person but i did some bad things yes. shame is i am a bad person yes and the whole negative core beliefs that just hammers home the shame right you know so what comes first is you make a mistake and then you start to be ashamed of that mistake and then you just start believing that you were that mistake right that that's truly who you are and so I think that it's important when when you go and you start digging deep like I said in this class and this is why I presented it in this class is that everybody it doesn't even have to be in teen challenge you look through any recovery manual, you know, even at the, at the AANA principles and the, and the, the steps is that you need to look at your past and find everything that you may have done and who you may have hurt and call it out, mm-hmm. you know, and then not just write it out and for yourself, but you are called to, in these steps to bring this to another person and to God, and you are to say it all, mm-hmm. you know, get it all out. Problem with this is that you're 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 kind of uncovering some things that you have almost forgotten. You know what I mean? It's almost like that trauma where where it's 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 kind of dangerous to open up that wound.
1: Well, yeah, you don't want to re traumatize, but you also want to reframe.
0: Right. That's the thing, is that you can't reframe if you don't open it. Right. So that's the that's the tricky part.
1: Can I give an example? And yeah. I don't know if I've given it on here because I've told people this example a thousand times and I actually said it the other day, um, so you've heard it multiple times, is, you know, I had this patient and he was early 20s, early to mid-20s, had been using, you know, had drank alcohol the first time at like eight or nine and, and then, you know, all the substances. Well, started using meth at age 12. And... By the time I meet him, you know, 10 years later whatever, he's been to treatment a couple of times. He's, I don't know what his, you know, legal lo- list looks like. And he comes in and he is just like, I don't know why you're even bothering with me. You know, like, he's like, I've done this. I've at everybody. I've done the things. But this is just who I am and how I am. I mean, his core belief was that like there was no chance and and I said, okay, well, let's go backwards. And and I said, well, what happened? Like, let's talk about when this meth started. Let's just go to that one. And we're gonna kind of dance over the alcohol and marijuana for him at that point because this is what we were for he was focused on was the meth. I said, okay, first use it at age twelve. Describe what was going on the first time you used it. Um, I said, I don't need details. I don't want you to like re-traumatize yourself or whatever. I don't want you to go back there and like accidentally have a positive experience. Just, like, tell me, just describe it in black and white. And he said, like, his mom was, like, in the other room getting beat up by who knows who. And this was kind of a pattern. And he was so angry, again, because, like, this is, had been happening is multiple times. This is reality. There's no food in his house. Like, his house is dirty. Whatever. And, um... And he said, well, you know, there was drugs all over all the time. There was empty beer bottles everywhere. And his mom and her person had left the meth out. Uh, You know, usually it had been like kind of half put away. And he said, I was just so mad that I didn't even know what to do. And he's like, part of me just wanted to end it like for himself. himself, Because he's just like, I can't keep doing this as a 12 year old. And part of him was like, I really wanted to go in there and just beat the whatever out of this
0: other person that's
1: hurting all well, right hers hurting my mom I didn't know what to do and so I used the drugs like because they were right in front of him and he's like and I used the drugs I'm like all right you did the right thing And he looked at me like you know I had just done the drugs and <laughs> and he kind of looked at me and I'm like what and he goes that was the right thing I'm like okay you just described to me you had three options in that moment like legitimately, you described three options for yourself. You said you were ready to kill yourself, kill him, or use the drugs. What should you have done? Like you picked the right thing. Right. Killed yourself, we wouldn't be here. Killed him, you'd probably be in prison or juvie, or that would have just gone Changed down. Your life that forever. would have yeah. been yes. So you chose meth. That was the right choice. I'm like, what should you have done in that moment? And he said, Well, I should have journaled, or should have gone for a walk, should have called someone. And I said, Um when did you learn those three right. behaviors? And and he goes, um, I don't know, probably one of the multiple Treatments. every time I went to treatment. And I said, okay, when did you go to treatment? And, you know, obviously it wasn't then, um, considering he had not been to treatment at this point. I said, okay, so you, had you ever, like, thought of those three op- other options before? No. I'm like, so when in your life would you have learned, I should go journal or go for a walk or call? Who were you going to call, first of all? But, like you didn't learn those behaviors. They weren't modeled to you. You didn't have those as choices. Like you're, you made the right choice. And that moment to him was like a light bulb because to him, it wasn't like, Oh, I inherently knew I should just use drugs. Like he had always seen that as like, he chose to just escape and then blah, blah, blah. No, he was like, this was his life or death choice. In a way, and that changed his belief, and because he realized, I, this was a positive for. He's like, okay, I did do the okay right thing. Like, I have a chance.
0: Right. I mean, they're not not dead. That's the thing. And like, what you're describing is is a perfect example of reframing a situation that that they had no control over. Right. You know, and um, that's a tell me a twelve
1: year old who's ever going to think I'm going to go journal. Right. Right. Full and way. especially in that situation. <laughs> I'm just kidding. And, but yes.
0: And then, you know, when you when you take that and you look at that, that's a negative core belief.
1: Mm-hmm. I
0: failed at that moment. I used meth. I started to use method twelve. What an embarrassing, shameful thing, you know?
1: Well, and this is the thing sometimes where there might be a difference in types of treatment facilities and or his readiness for the treatment facility. Right. I mean, or yeah. like kind of what you just described, like I wasn't necessarily truthful with my five critical choices. You know, for him, everything had even been well. Tumble- I chose to do it at that point, moving forward, where he hadn't yet uncovered the real truth behind that critical right. choice.
0: He did It's it's a total different situation if you look at it. You know, with them with the more knowledge. I mean, mm-hmm. knowledge is power. So if you learn about okay, this is a situation that is not normal. You know, mm-hmm. is something that you're not gonna learn in the textbook as far as when you're 12 years old and how to handle it you're probably pretty ashamed of what's going on, so you're probably not telling anybody outside of that home what's oh, Yeah, going you're on. not
1: telling anyone at school this is going on. So and- as
0: a 12-year-old, you're tra- having to deal with this on your own. And, and now, if you look back at it, you, you actually can take a, a moment that has been a, a negative core belief forever, how long, and turn that around and reframe it to, the, to say, you know what, you don't have to have this negative core belief based on this moment.
1: No, if he was inherently an evil person, like essentially the legal system had made him out to be, he was, you know, this evil sociopathic antisocial person, you would have killed somebody in that moment. You were not a horrible person. You had no choice. Like you you did the healthy, you made the right choice. We're
0: not saying that it's okay to go... Do, do all this that. Yeah. No, 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 no. This all, is but. this is situational, and it it in, we're using it for the purpose of changing that negative core belief.
1: Reframing, yeah.
0: And and so and and you know, take any situation, and if it is if it is ingrained in you that you were bad in that situation, there is always something you can look at it to reframe it with, and you can look at. I've I've said uh, you know to my counselor, why did I have to go through and do all these things to my family? Why did I have to experience all these things? And and he would, you know, instead of living in that, he would say, those all th- those things all happen so you can help others. That's a mind-blowing change in in the way I look at my past.
1: Now, we're also not saying, go do these things no. to go
0: help others. No, that's not what... <laughs> I'm... I, yes, I, I'm, no. I'm just, and everyone it's a has way their to path. reframe it. Yes, for sure. And it's a way to get out of that negative core belief. The other thing that it... It, you know, especially in, in the faith-based, is they're called strongholds, and uh, a stronghold is not uh, a war term, but it is in a way based on your faith and based on what Satan does. And a stronghold is described as a hab- habitual pattern of thought built into one's thought life. So, yeah, you know, it's Same it's like, mm-hmm. like it's just different different frame. Right. So if you continually Think about this. You know, strongholds, we, when I was given this presentation, I asked them some examples of some strongholds, and a lot of them had to do with their exes or the, the rejection or the abandonment. You know, the stronghold is that I'm not worth it. I, I'm never going to be loved. Since my ex-wife abandoned me and won't come back to me, then I'm not good enough. Right. You know, and so that stronghold has to be broken. And, you know, and, and that's what this whole process is, you know, is, is finding a way, like you said, reframing it. And then beyond that, now uh, we kind of have a good idea of what strongholds are and what negative core beliefs are. In order to truly change those negative core beliefs, I am a firm believer that you have to forgive yourself. Mm-hmm. So we, we, what I did in this, in this presentation is I, I transitioned from the negative core beliefs because I didn't want to focus on that and just hammer home and, and and make them, you know, tell me all these negative core beliefs. We basically just got them in that 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 idea of what are some of my negative core beliefs so that they can internalize them a little bit and think about how they're going to use this information in their assignment. And then we talked about forgiveness, you know, because everybody in this world has something to be forgiven for. And if you're sitting in a long-term Treatment center, you probably have a lot that you're you're dealing with. Right. So,
1: and most people, I would think, sitting in that long term recovery or any treatment facility or anybody in use, probably doesn't see it that way at first. They don't see it as I have a lot of forgiveness to give. No, they probably see it as man, a lot of people better be forgiven me, or they they need to make amends with a lot of other people. Right. And they probably do. And when we say you have forgiving, and that the, the way I see it is not that you're blaming your ex-wife and so I need to forgive her for doing this. No, because that's still not taking ownership. Well, but it's, it's, it's looking at the situation, reframing it, and forgiving all parties in the moment, including yourself.
0: I, that's why I want to clarify. When I said forgiveness, I, my first step is not, it does not go outward at all. All of this forgiveness that I was talking about with these negative core beliefs was all internal, you know, because you have to forgive yourself if you're going to change those negative core beliefs. If you are going to change it from I'm a, a horrible parent, I'm a horrible dad. If you're going to change that to I'm a good dad, you have to forgive yourself for all the things that made you believe that you were a horrible dad. Right. And and this is where I bring in the fate thing is that I always talk about. You know, if you're a true believer, then you have then you believe that God has forgiven you. You know, this is the Christian belief, the belief in Jesus. If you believe that, you know, this is what Teen Challenge teaches. But you have to believe that you are forgiven for your sins, and if you are forgiven by God, then who are you to not forgive yourself,
1: (laughs) right? But it's. It, no, it's not no, that, no, easy. It's not not that it's easy. easy. No, I'm just gonna give everybody the. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you the devil's advocate side, not bad verbiage right. at this moment, Pun? um, of that because some people use the, and I just read this. Like, do you, do you do all these horrible things because you know you're forgiven no matter what? Well, no, um, and. Yes, I'm forgiven by God, therefore I should forgive myself. Yes, you should, but you need to also acknowledge and understand what led to it. And I think that's where what movie was that? Um I don't know. The one movie that the Shack um where, you know, they're going up and it's you don't want to forgive this person who's harmed you and harmed you and harmed you, but God knows the story behind them that right. led to that, you know? Like forgiving yourself is hard. But if God does, you need to understand why God was able to forgive you and go kind of go deep. And this is that whole reframing it is looking at the whole thing. Like I don't think it should be as simple as I forgive myself for being a bad dad. No. No. It's it's really doing this reframing work.
0: And that's where that that's why I talk about that that whole negative core beliefs is is identifying all of these things that you felt were your definition. What Mm -hmm. defined you as and and the reason why, you, you know, you have to reframe that is because if you continue to believe it, there's no, I don't see any way that you're going to get better. You know, like the, you're always going to have that hatred inside, that self-hatred. And that is so powerful that you have to do something to, because it's going to lead to, well, it's going to lead to suicide.
1: Well, and the other way I think it leads is to externalizing your recovery, you know, this is the patient where you say, okay, you're in recovery for how long it is. What keeps you in recovery? Like, what keeps you going? And when they say, my kids, my wife, my job, and then I pull out the million dollar, everybody hates me question of, okay, they all got in a car accident and died right, right now. What are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> then, you know, I get daggers. But that is where you can't externalize your recovery. And I think people who aren't truly forgiven themselves and haven't reframed their core beliefs are those who tend to externalize their recovery. Right. You know, you're you're in recovery for them. You owe them, but you still inherently think you're a bad person. Right. So if they all go away, you got nothing to live for if your core beliefs are still there. You know, your recovery has to be for you, right. and that's the whole you need to spend, like, it is okay almost every day, or more often, to, like, your recovery has to come first yeah. before all the external things. And so... If you're noticing you're in recovery for all the other, it's really time to examine that's, and reframe your core.
0: That's always a, a scary thing for me to hear from somebody and even think about myself because, and I may have used this analogy on here before, and if I did, I apologize, but looking at the way other people in, you know, impact you, whether it's what they think about you or if you're doing something for them and not for you, it's like going out in a cabin where it's in the middle of the woods and it's w- middle of winter and it's cold and trying to get warm by starting fires outside the cabin. Right. You know, that, that is the analogy of, I'm going to let other people give me my worth. Right. It's never truly going to change you. It's never, well,
1: unless it lights the cabin on fire, right, in right, which case the up. fire is now inside too. Right. And yeah. it, anyway,
0: but if you, <laughs> that's, that's the whole idea of, of forgiving yourself. And one of the one of the problems is is that you know, you've hurt so many people that you don't believe that you can get better or that you're worthy until they forgive you.
1: So this is where I want to interject. I'm sorry, is for the people who are not the people using substances. So we're talking the support people, we're talking the families, we're talking the friends, we're talking the people who have been burned yeah. in essence and have been hurt. This is an important message for you to hear as well because having to reframe and learn to forgive yourself. I mean, everybody has something that they like probably have some shame over, probably hold inside or whatever that we all need to forgive ourselves for. But if they're going back and your person is really having to go through these core beliefs and are forgiving themselves and they're in a contained 13 month environment, a teen challenge or wherever they might be. And they're really working on this. They're still very vulnerable that I get they need to make amends with you too. That's part of it. You know, you need to make amends. It's one of the steps as well. Even if you're not doing 12 steps, you still need to make amends. It's the external people now not offering up that forgiveness. Now you are continuing to shame that person. And so those fires, you might have forgiven yourself and you're all nice and warm in the fire. But they're, by them continuing to shame you, You know, it's...
0: It can be damaging.
1: It can be very damaging. And And especially when you're really starting out on trying to to change. Changing your whole core belief doesn't just change overnight. It's a constant active act. Just like recovery is active. Like you have to not get complacent. So if somebody else, while you're in this early stage of, okay, I'm worth it, I'm worth it, I'm worth it. And then you have... Everybody else saying, yeah, but you did this and you did this and you did this. Yes, I did those things. I'm going to make amends and I'm going to continue to dance the dance and walk the walk and do what I need to do. But if you're continuing to shame that person, they're going to go right back yeah. to, okay, you're right. I'm a really bad person. Either that or
0: they're going to cut you out, which is, which is the message I send to people in recovery. You, you don't have a choice in whether or not they are going to forgive you. Right. But you do have a choice of whether or not you're going to let them continue to affect your life,
1: which is a very, very hard thing to do. It is, especially when you will then meet. But you did this to me. Why are you getting to cut me out? Well, yeah, but, that's, but it, you can't you can't control other people.
0: No, you can't. And that's that's why you know that's why that whole message of you and I always first need to accept the forgiveness of God, and then you need to forgive yourself, and then if others forgive you. That's a bonus. Right. But what other people think of you is none of your business. And you can move forward without forgiveness from people. Right. You know, I, I believe and I agree with you, your message about the, the, the people that are the loved ones, giving them grace, giving, understanding that maybe I don't need to forget what they've done, but I do not need to continue to keep them in the prison they're in. Right, Based it's on helping
1: support their recovery, recovery and their core belief because they're not you're, like you had just said a little bit ago. You're not going to maintain long term recovery if you at the core still feel this negative core about yourself
0: inherently bad. Uh huh. You know, like and and yes, it, and other people cannot tell you what you think, but they can definitely affect it. They can definitely you know, make you question yourself. And that's, that's the part that, that I try when I'm working with people is I try to remind them that it, it, the inside is what needs to change. You know, that, that you're, you need to love yourself. Mm -hmm. And I still am working on that. I mean, I am the first one to admit, I admitted it when I was at this, this presentation, I told him, I said, I struggle with this stuff every day. I mean, I'm not perfect not even well close. the
1: consequences of your actions don't go away overnight no
0: and you and you continually feel the consequences but you don't even know where they're coming from all of a sudden it'll hit you you know for me it's you know a lot to do with my kids i'm not with them every every day you know i don't get to see them every day i get to see them very sporadically and some days i'm just like wow i really miss my kids and i've missed a lot of their lives and you know and and that affects me if i wasn't truly forgiven myself over time, I, I, that stuff would, would change me, mm-hmm. you know? And so when I told him this and one of the guys was, he goes, why should we listen to you then? And I, and I acknowledge that that's a really good question. And my answer was, is that I'm, I'm no different than you. I'm just a little further down the road. Right. So I've experienced some of this and I am, you know what I am, I am dealing with some of these situations where I, I have negative core beliefs come up and, and kind of bite me a little bit, but the difference is, is I'm not going to use over it. And I'm quickly reframing them, you know? So that's, that is where I'm at now. And, uh, and I think that that's the message for, you know, anybody that's listening, that's, that's dealing with this because those guys in teen challenge, they're dealing with it in a very safe environment, right? They are able to run this across their counselors, their, their recovery coaches, their peers, and not be tempted with outside forces. They don't have to worry about a job. They don't have to worry about putting food on the table. They can focus on themselves. Anybody that's out there listening right now that's, that's dealing with this, it's harder, but you can do it. Right. You just need to, I mean, these positive affirmations. Look at the positive things you're doing. Look at the positive things you've done in your life. Look at the fact that you still have a chip in a chair. Right. You still are a dad. <laughs> yeah, and that's not a bad. Uh, that, that,
1: was, that was good, actually. I'm you, just like, you, wow, that was, that was, is that like a thing? Or well, just that's make like it. a poker thing, you
0: know. Like, oh. like if you still have a chip, I was thinking in the game. like your recovery chip, you know, no, like no, if no. you go well, that, like your coin or whatever yeah, well, it is. It's a pun, you know. Uh, so, I mean, but you're still in the game, right? You, you know, be kind to yourself, right? Like, like Mike says, love wins, you know. And, and and yes, this message is for the the person, the substance use disorder person, but it's also for family, you can, know.
1: Can I add something that I heard once? Absolutely. So this is nothing to do with, um, use disorders or addiction field whatsoever. Um, but I was involved in a very bizarre, just one of those icky health situations, healthcare, you know, situations. And, you know, chaplains had to get involved and like, this was a bad situation. And everyone involved, of course, was just like some guilt, like running through all the things like, oh my, Gosh, like, what if, what if, what if we did this, did this, and like this whole thing. And the chaplain had been, you know, talking to everybody, including, you know, the parents of what had happened, uh, the whole deal. Anyway, she came to talk to me, or I talked to her a couple different times, you know, moving forward, well, past the situation. And, you know, I still think about this situation to this day. And, you know, this is that whole you don't forget. Um, But she had said to me, who was the number one victim or the person hurt the most in the situation? Like, take everything out and just look black and white facts. Who was hurt the most with this situation? And I mean, the answer was the parents, like black and white, easy. And she said, then you need to follow their lead in a way. So me holding any guilt shame, or anybody who was involved, holding that when these the parents had found peace, found forgiveness. Like that's almost like not okay. Like now you're making it almost about you in a way. You know, it's 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 take that lead. And so, you know, for the people who are are using in a way, you know, like the people who are hurt the most, so let's look at your kids. Now this doesn't apply to every situation obviously, but like if we're looking at your kids and and I've said this to you, um and you're feeling the guilt, and you're feeling the shame, and you're like, oh my god, I ruined, you know, like you just said, you know, I missed all these years, but look at what your kids say, you know, like they forgave you and they move forward, and you know, there might be little things that come up in their lives, yeah, <laughs> there's things that I've done to my kids that come up in their lives, whatever, but if they've forgiven you, who are you to feel more game, you know, shame and guilt and and continue that negative belief when they've already moved on, right, and you know, you don't have to forget what happened. You just have to continue to live in the place with them. Right. You know, if you continue to live and I did this to you and I did this to you, that will start to come into your interactions with those kids now. And that will negatively impact them now, even though they forgave you a, while, a long time ago. Right.
0: And that's the thing is, is that when you, you have to get to that point where you're moving forward. And this is where I'm at now is that I didn't know of their forgiveness, but I had to do myself. You know, and once I got there, any types of questions I would have, any types of those negative core beliefs coming up, uh, that's, that is what I look at. Right. You know, that's a tangible thing. We, you know, when I say God's always forgiven us, that's hard to really wrap your arms around, you know, that I'm forgiven, but I don't.
1: You kind of look you know crazy I mean? if you're walking around hugging the air.
0: Yeah. But I mean, that that's the reality, but it's sometimes hard. I'm a tangible person. Sometimes I need to know that I've been forgiven. I see it in person. And so sometimes that's what I focus on. Now I'm further along in my faith than I can I can actually say that, you know, God has forgiven me. So therefore I am forgiven. You know, I am loved because God says I'm loved. I don't have to have another person in this world tell me I'm loved in order to know that I'm loved. And that's that's a place where it's hard to get to. Right. But it it definitely changes that negative core belief into a core belief that is I am loved. Right. I am good. I am worthy. We don't need the the police department to say that we're worthy. We don't need the <laughs> the probation officer to let us get off of probation in order to say that we've changed. Right. You know, this all comes from inside. It's intrinsic and it needs to be that way for true recovery to happen.
1: Well, and it's they see that though. You don't need to tell them that. Like they can see a person who's if you've acknowledged the situations and you've really done this deep work, that shows. People it's, it's, see that. Right. And when you start to believe, okay, I'm worthy. I'm actually a good person. I know I've robbed that place and sold that and done this. But if you start to, to show that you believe that you are worth it, that Others does play out. Yeah. Others will yeah. feel it and see it. So, and, and
0: you do not need to prove it to them. You just walk it out. Right? Just, and I don't like that's that. that. that that saying walk it out, walk it out. But it's true. Right. I know. And it's I, I one of the The people the that I, matter will see it. Yeah, one of the quotes I really like is preach the gospel and when necessary use words. You know, it's it's not about telling people. It's it's a, it's about actions. Right. And that's where, you know, you're you're gonna start believing in yourself too once you start making the actions. I'm gonna end with this. Um it's, a, it's a before Bible. we talk about Charles Yeah. It's a it's a Bible or it was, it was about a Bible study I was doing and uh and it's and it says you know from corinthians second corinthians 5:17 it says therefore if any man be in christ he is a new creature old things are passed away behold all things are becoming new and basically my my statement about, about that that uh, bible verse was this is something i have to live by without the belief in god's grace and forgiveness i believe the shame would be too much for me to be able to take. It is why I, It is why for so long I was stuck in addiction. Once I asked for the acceptance of God's forgiveness, I was able to let go of the shame and move forward in life.
1: Well, and it's the movie or the song, Maybe It's Time, from that Bradley Cooper sings. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, it's time have to let done old ways today, die. but we didn't. Yeah,
1: Maybe yeah. We sound, okay.
0: But, but yeah, so I mean, I, I think that's that whole belief that things can change. And the past is the past. Don't let it become your defining moments. Don't let your past define you. Don't be the, I'm a felon. Don't be the, I'm the addict. Be the, I, am the, I, I have possibilities and I am not defined by my past.
1: Right, very similar to what Brian said and we're yes. taping with him later so you guys right. will hear part two from Brian shortly. But Sir okay, Elton. Sir Elton John. So Sir Elton John has now been in recovery, I did the math, 33 years. I don't have the year, it just said in 2015, it had been 25 years. Not that that matters. We don't necessarily need to count days, but so we all know who Elton John is. I mean, he's one of like the icons in music history. Um, started using substances in the 70s. So uh, not right away in his career, but said he started using primarily cocaine because he was so shy. He's like, you can see me on stage and I'm this extrovert, can't talk to anybody but I needed the cocaine to get there. Um, so he could perform. So his core belief was that he just was not good enough to be on that stage. And he's stated that, um, he also took a minute to, to kind of embrace and, you know, his sexuality. And so that was also part of it as well. He had the core belief that he was, there was something wrong with him. Um, and so he started using cocaine and he, um, This kind of just perpetuated a couple different, you know, the 70s and 80s were just very difficult for him. Um, Initially, the cocaine, he said, opened him up and then it closed him down and it isolated him. This then also perpetuated into the eating disorders. And he he said he would do cocaine, marijuana, Johnny Walker, and he'd be up for three days and he'd crash for a day and a half. He'd get hungry. He'd binge. He'd like binge on a lot of things. And then he'd vomit because he was bulimic and then start the whole thing over again. And he said at one point, this was just who he was. And so this is just what he did. Um, His manager kind of had made a point once when he was starting to, to ask his management to change the weather. And, but people just kind of, he said, because I had become such an icon and I was so good on stage and so good that, you know, the cocaine gave me that initially that no one, like people were afraid to say anything to him. They're like, that's just how he is. And that was like his... Like, so he just started to believe that. Like, oh, I, like he almost had a free pass. Like he got to use drugs just because that's what he did. Um,
0: that happened. I mean, it's a common story when, in, yes. in music for sure.
1: So kind of what helped him actually, interestingly, find recovery is, you know, Ryan White, who is a famous, like the f- poster person, which is kind of a weird poster thing to say it like that um, for the AIDS. AIDS. Yeah. Um, Through a transfusion. Through a blood transfusion, Young yes. kid. Young kid. He, Elton John, met Ryan White and his family, and um, he actually said at one point, Elton John did say, I came out HIV negative. I was the luckiest man in the world. And although Ryan White didn't contract HIV, you know, except from a blood transfusion, meeting him just kind of changed his wor- mind, right. like totally just baffled him. He's like, how did I, with all of this history come out like this and this kid okay, yeah. who was hemoph- who had hemophilia, yeah. which is why I got a blood transfusion. Um, and so when Ryan White died in 1990, he said within six months, he like became sober like and stayed there. I mean, he was a pallbearer in this this kid's funeral. Wow, I didn't know that. I, yeah, I found that out today. Um, he also started the, the World AIDS Foundation, the Ryan White AIDS Foundation, okay. Sir Elton John did. So yeah. that's all him. I just loved this couple other things just to show demonstrate just how the grips of addiction are um, that people don't quite understand. It's like you know like you always talk about the pain of recovery being greater than the pain of use and how you know you you have the potential to die right now, but you the drugs just win. He actually said at one point like this was a pattern for him again, this is just who he was. he'd have totally just used a bunch of stuff and if people don't know if you mix cocaine and alcohol you get a stronger substance called cocaethylene it's like makes both better I mean people inherently know that but it's actually a real thing um, and he had what he called epileptic epileptic seizures which alcohol withdrawal seizures um, would like have cold blue hauled on him put into bed and then he'd like snap out of it 40 minutes later and snort another line right like yeah. that is that is the throes of addiction um, but to end Um, is a quote he made or stated in 2012 to NPR, and this is for the other CPRSs, and this is for the people who are in recovery and are still frustrated, and this goes back to your triggers episode we did a few episodes ago, where you're like, why am I still feeling these things? 2012, so this is almost 25 years into his recovery, he said, "I still dream twice a week, at least, that I've taken cocaine and I have it up my nose, and it's very vivid and it's very upsetting. But at least it's a wake-up call. It's like he says, you know, basically goes on to say, like he wakes up, he realizes I didn't do it, and that just reminds him I am sober." Right. So well,
0: and, and it's two again two ways you can look at that. You can either be ashamed of having that, or you can look at it like Hilton and say it's as a reminder.
1: Reminder that I'm here.
0: Yeah, that I'm. I'm not cured but it doesn't have to be that way. Right. And And so
1: I know it's very upsetting to, you know, like it was upsetting to you just with that triggers episode that we talked about and it's, you know, doesn't define you. Right. And
0: And, and I've talked about it often how using dreams can be very scary. Right. You know, it can be worse than any nightmare you've ever had. That does
1: not mean that you're not in recovery. That does not mean you're about to relapse. It does not mean anything. And I think a lot of people freak out thinking, Oh my God! And families really freak out, thinking who yeah. knows. But
0: no, and I think that it's, it's Elton John was a great example to go along with the negative core beliefs because of what was pushing him or yeah, leading him to use and and you know and that's the that's the thing I want to just end on is just you know anybody and this is why we do the the celebrity highlight is that anybody can have these negative core beliefs no matter if you're on stage and. Tens of thousands of people are paying money to come see you. There's a lot of people that deal with negative core beliefs. You're not alone in this.
1: Okay, I want to add one more thing. Yeah. Because I forgot about this, and it really does add to the core beliefs. Um, even well into recovery. Now we're like 25 years into recovery. He um, he had this like medical thing, appendix, so nothing dramatic like near-death experience. Um, he had many of those while he was using. But anyway... This medical thing in 2013 kind of was another wake-up call to him because he realized he was now addicted to work and so has backed off if anyone follows on John that closely. But what he realized is kind of one of his core beliefs that he just always needed, needed, needed more. Like nothing was ever enough for him. Like he just needed, needed, needed. And he said, I can't have one pair of shoes. I can't have one CD. I can't have one bouquet of flowers. I can't have one car. I can't have one ornament. I always run away with that. Like with it, like meaning you, he just always needed more. So it was just this moment to really reflect on his whole life and the belief that more was better, and it made him slow down. Right. So
0: find contentment, people. (laughs) I really do. I really contentment,
1: but not complacency.
0: There's a fine line, but do find contentment because that's where you find peace. And and I think that's what my whole point of this whole negative core beliefs thing is: is you don't have to live in that. Find the peace. Be happy with yourself. Love yourself. And that goes for other people too. You
1: because know. you are worth it. You
0: are worth it, and you know. And uh, if anybody has when the one, the one last thing. If anybody has any celebrity they want us to highlight, please email us because I have, there's so many out there. There's so many out there. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, and um, just love yourself. Working together, we can move addiction to recovery.
1: If you would be so kind, please go to wherever you listen to your podcast. Give us a five-star rating, possibly a comment, but for sure click to follow us so you never miss an episode. Most importantly, don't forget to share our episode with a friend.
0: And as always, if you would like to ask us a question, have a topic, recommendation, or would even want to be a guest on our show, email us at addiction2recoverypodcast at gmail.com. That's addiction the number 2 podcast at gmail.com.
1: Or follow us on Twitter at a2rpodcast.com. Or on Facebook or Instagram at Addiction to Recovery Podcast.